Please take your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, our text this morning will be uh, just the first 12 verses. That's what we'll read, that's what we'll look at this morning. A couple things. Um, it is good to see Pastor Alex. He has joined all the rest of us in the Bionic Club, um, having uh, a brace and four screws screwed into various, thank God for the gospel, which has produced in God's goodness and common grace to give man these things, for he is upright and here with us, and uh, all the rest of us who are carrying that metal and can't get through the airport um, without letting people know ahead of time, it is not a gun. It's not a gun. So uh, another thing I want to share, um, Samantha McGuire is in the family way. Her and her husband, Drew. Yes! You guys have no idea. Actually, you grandparents do how hard it is at the pressure, right? I, don't re I think I accomplished that, but I am so thankful for the Lord blessing them with a baby on the way due in August. So we're pumped, to say the least. Um, as we transition, though, and as we're going to look at, like I said, the first 12 verses, last week, we, in the last two weeks, we've kind of mentioned the sacraments, and the first sacrament, which is baptism, is a most important one, because for those of you that are sitting in here, and you would want to become a part of Christ Community Church, and really if you want to participate in the Lord's table, um, you are you know, to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And while the sacraments do not save us, they are essential. Um, the, the sacrament of baptism ties us to the local church, and so we treat this, you know, um, like everything else, that the Bible talks about very seriously. It is our desire, and more importantly, it's the Lord's command. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are to be baptized. And that baptism isn't just some random thing you, uh, you know, do in the back of a pool or anything else. And, and don't get me wrong, because we've baptized in a pool. The point is, baptism connects you to the local church. This was always God's design, and we're seeing that as we move through the book of Acts. Um, people hear the word, people believe the word, and people are baptized. And so if you have confessed Jesus by faith, then subsequent to that, it is important for you to be baptized, like as in everything else. We don't try to twist anybody's arm to do anything. Um, because we can't manufacture spirituality. 
but we do wholeheartedly hold uh, firm to the scriptures and their authority. And people can be at different levels. Some can lack understanding um, of what baptism is. And so that's what we're here for. We're here to help in that regard. But if you know Jesus, you should obey Jesus by, by becoming a baptized uh, Christian. And I think that's important. So if that's you, we have a membership and a baptism sign-up that's on that, that table as you come in. And uh, what we do for those of you that are desiring membership with us, sign it up uh, at some point. We've already begun discussions with people. We kind of meet with people and go over with them, try to uh, point them um, on the way, because that's what we're all doing, right? As the believers of the way that the book of Acts refers to. All right, let's look at this text. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down into Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmas, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks to be here today as we open your word at Christ Community Church. Illuminate our minds to see the beauty of Jesus. And then, Lord God, as we leave this place, may our motivation be 
solely to live for your honor and glory. We pray for these things in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sometimes it's, it's easy to miss the trees for the forest. You can try to begin several times. People and Christians do this with the Bible. And they really don't know where to start and how to go about it. I would probably say all of us have, have been there at a time or another. The Bible can look daunting. It is a large book. It's kind of like moving through maybe a, a corn maze. You can feel that way where you can lose your sense of direction. Um, yet nonetheless, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's easy for any of us to miss the actual point of a text. And that's why it's most important, and we, we basically design all of our Bible classes, and certainly when all of the uh, pastors preach, we not only preach about Jesus, but we preach about the unity of Scripture and that Jesus himself is the focus of this. And, and once again, in this text today that we're going to look at, past the, the sending of the missionaries, and this example, this confrontation, if you will, of Bar-Jesus and Paul, it's easy, it can be easy to miss the point. And here's the point. At this sermon, much less all of the Bible as it's moved to its fruition. Jesus has plundered the house of Satan. Satan is bound and the power of the gospel is moving forward into the world and it cannot be stopped. That's why Jesus would say the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. Whom the father elects, the son redeems, it is the spirit that awakens their hearts through regeneration. No one can thwart God. No one. His will, be done. His will will be done. Now, for some of you, you might be sitting there and you're thinking of a number of things about Satan. You might be thinking about uh, Satan being, you know, in, in Ephesians called the prince and the power of the air. We certainly don't view Satan as if he's nothing. We certainly believe that Satan is real and that demons are real. Um, Bar-Jesus here, as we'll look at this text, was a worshiper of Satan, undoubtedly was possessed by a demon as Paul confronts him. But I, I want you to know this, lest we, we get this picture of, whoa, Satan might win. No. God has no peer. There is God, the prophet Isaiah said, there is none beside him. God is other. Satan, in fact, was an angel of light created by God. But Satan, yet nonetheless, as we've looked at before, um, how Believers can become weak in faith and suffer. We can neglect the means of grace by not faithfully 
uh, being under the word of God in, in a week-to-week way and, um, you know, participating in the sacraments and prayer. And as a result of that, we can, through the neglect of the means of grace, we can fall prey to the temptations of Satan. And I, uh, Pastor Brett gave me, I don't know, a month or two ago, a great illustration of this. Satan is like a chained animal. He is bound. Revelation 20 clearly tells us this. And, uh, and you, know, you know, I got bit in the face by a dog that was rabid. And I'm still bitter to my parents about that. Just kidding. Though they did make me get out of the car. But, but Satan is like a, a bound wild beast. And he can do us harm. When we neglect the means of grace, we can fall prey to the temptations of our flesh. So it isn't as if he's like totally obsolete, but I want you to get this. Satan cannot stop the gospel. Jesus, according to Mark chapter 3 verse 27, has plundered the house of the strong man. The illustration there of the strong man being Satan. As strong as Satan may ever be, he pales in significance to the power of God. And so we're on like this journey here, and chapter 13 on now, the gospel's going to go to the ends of the earth. The gospel has moved through Jerusalem and through the Jewish nation, through chapters 1 through 7. Judea and, or Judea and Samaria in chapters 8 through 12. And now there's a focus where the church at Antioch is going to send out missionaries being uh, Barnabas and Saul. The miracle of redemption is pressing forward. These missionaries are carrying the message of the gospel, which is the power of God to save, and the captives are being set free. Just like you got set free. Just like I got set free. Yes, I'm dealing with the remnants of the remaining parts of sin and will do so for the rest of my life, but God has set me free from the kingdom of the world And I belong to the kingdom of God. And so do you. And so we don't want to move through life because too many Christians do this. And and I would dare say this is a result of dispensationalism. But too many Christians do this. They live in fear of the world. And by God's grace, we never try to give in to that as parents. We serve the king of kings. And parents, your children have been given to you as grace gifts of God. By God's grace, do not pass on a fear of the world. God told us not to fear. Now, there's a lot of trouble ahead. But do not fear, because our God, the Lord Jesus, has overcome the world. And he's with you. It's clear, he keeps saying he's with them. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We started that in the book of Acts, back to Matthew chapter 28. And so we get 
to this sending off of this church at Antioch. And look at look what it says there. Now there were in the in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now we're going to move our way through this incredible mosaic of people, of diversified people and the beauty that only the gospel and God himself could have brought this group together. But the church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. You and I that know the Lord Jesus have been called out of the kingdom of the world and been placed in as the subjects to our Lord and Savior and the kingdom of God. We are the called out ones. And in this church, we know this as we've moved through the text, that Antioch itself was largely a Gentile church, though it had a Jewish people as well. We don't want to miss this here, as I've referred to it before, the prophets there who bore out a a unique ministry in the early church. He's not referring to the Old Testament prophets. He's referring to New Testament prophets because the New Testament scripture is being written by the apostles, right, under the authority of the apostles. But God, through all of these churches that are being established in towns and cities and villages and large cities and whatnot, God is using prophets Prophets are those who receive the direct revelatory message and then they would speak under as the authority and as powerful as the word of God itself for the intended purpose of the, of the promotion of the gospel, the person of Christ, and whatever it is that group of people needed. And, and we'll see this. Philip himself had four daughters who prophesied. Now, the prophets are a, a, a unique setting that eventually will be done away with when the New Testament is formulated and completed. Along with it, it had teachers. Thank God for spiritually motivated and gifted teachers. We have a room full of them. You are blessings to us. I thank God for all of the people who were in this church that taught my sons. You were you were aides to the authority of valonized parents. And so parents, you love those dear teachers that will teach your children and all the other teachers that go on throughout the, the building this morning. God has blessed uniquely because only God can do these kinds of things. His church with teachers. And seek it. Everyone's not called to be a teacher, but there are ways in which all of us are teachers and that we are teaching. Boy, this church at Antioch, it says, it, I mean, it gives it in a multi, um, um, a plural term. There are teachers. Then he goes through this list. The shifting of all of these people who were redeemed out of the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God, just as we were. There's Barnabas. What a beautiful soul he is. He's called the son of consolation. That's what Barnabas means. He's an encourager. And some of you have that unique giftedness to get along somebody privately away from everybody else. And you can get in there and you can just encourage them up because their hearts are down. Don't you love Barnabases? 
Barnabas is here and he's aiding the apostle on, these, on this first missionary journey. There's Barnabas. And then we have Simeon who is called Niger. And uh, it, the scripture basically uh, lets us know, especially in early um, outside of the scripture, so apologetic writings, that he was from the Ethiopian nations. Um, Simon, who was called Niger, Niger means black, he himself was black. Along with him was Lucius of Cyrene. Does that ring a bell? Sure it does. He's the man who carried the cross for Jesus when Jesus couldn't carry it no more. He was from Libya, another African who carries the cross of Christ. Look at the unique nature of who is coming together. These we know by name. Manan. Wow, Manan. Manan is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And it's not the guy that we just saw that, that the Lord killed in the previous chapter. He's Grandpa Herod. Grandpa Herod, who had John the Baptist beheaded and conspired with Rome, that's Herod the Tetrarch, to execute Jesus. Manan grew up with him in the palace. And he's a part of this, a converted disciple of Jesus. And then, of course, when we've seen this, and you, you can't help but note him, he writes at least 13 books in the New Testament, there's Saul. The dude that's killing Christians for a living is converted a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a double doctorate, if you will, a leader in killing the church, the greatest probably hater of the church, who now is the greatest lover of the church and will love the church and the preaching of Christ crucified till he gets his head chopped off. What a beautiful group of men. Who can do this stuff? <laughs> you know, they're going to join a, a club because, you know, they all play the harp. Nothing wrong if you're playing the harp. I'm just saying the unique nature, right, that brought them together is nothing short than the power of God to save, to set captives free. John Calvin said this, the principal design to preach the gospel is so people may be reconciled to God. Whew. Aren't you thankful someone preached the gospel to you? Thank you, C.H. and Betty, for me, along with a host of others because I had faithful parents to sit me and take me to church even when I was grumbling and whining about it. The church, the kingdom of God, God's plan, his only plan, there has never been a plan B, is being executed in the world because Jesus has bound the strong man. He is plundering him through the power of the gospel. And the church is sitting here in the beginning of this, and they're worshiping Christ. And the Bible tells us that 
that they're fasting, and you know, just to come full transparency with this, I've only fasted maybe a couple times in my life. What we want to get out of this is it's revealing a passion and zeal to move the gospel forward, and we've had spiritual disciplines classes and many others who are who have who have fasted for the spiritual sake. I'm talking about here, not for um, for one's health. Nothing wrong with that, but that's that was their motivation. That has zeal and a passion for the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus loved them and he and they were loving him and they wanted to see the gospel go forward and they're praying. Well what are they praying about as they worship Christ? They're praying for the direction of God's will and guess what? The Holy Spirit tells them. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, some of you have been called to full-time work. That's a beautiful thing. I think every man should consider that. You should at least ask of God if that's what God has for you. You're short-sighted if you don't. But it's not just, right? It's not just people who are uh, pastoral professionally. All these teachers are called by God. But here specifically in the first missionary journey, right? He sets apart, the Holy Spirit does, Barnabas and Saul. And they're sent out by the church as the Holy Spirit leads and moves. Because it's the Holy Spirit that is moving in the hearts of the church who are filled, that is, they're controlled by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is about to regenerate more people. And the Holy Spirit is going to move in hearts to point others to Jesus. And he's going to awaken their hearts to recognize their sin and to trust in Christ alone because God is merciful to save. He's merciful to save. They're going to turn from their sin. They're going to re repent and believe. And here they go. That's their first missionary journey. They're going to leave Antioch and they're going to go to Galatia. Now here, good luck with that. Because if you look at the back of your Bible, you've got a study Bible. There's all kinds of maps. Every time I got involved in geography, I go, thank God for GPS. Hey, Siri, take me to thus and such. This is, a, this is a large movement from Antioch to Galatia. And the truth is, if you, if you begin to research it, um, you know, people are going to tell you different things. Let's just su suffice it to say this is huge. But here's what they're going to do. Okay, here's what they're going to do. These guys are going to go ten times in Acts. This is mentioned there. here. They're going to go to the synagogue and they're going to preach Christ as Pastor Zach did just today in the biblical theology class. And that's why um, I'm a little bit fearful of my dear brother here because he has 12 years in preparation for expository preaching. I asked him, can we not do one whole chapter. I <laughs> uh, love this guy. Such a faithful guy. And he says, yeah, Kev, you can, you can do it, but just one week. 
So that's why I want to break it into two, because next week we're going to look at a biblical theology from like verse uh, 17 to 47, whatever it is. And so, and so what, the, what the point here is we begin to look at this text as, as the missionaries are sent out, and, and we want to get this because this is still true for us. The light overcomes the darkness, right? So we looked at the first scene, which is the church at Antioch, okay? Because we want to, we, let's buck up a little bit. Let's get a little stronger. Let's, let's prepare for the warfare instead of just trying to feebly get in. Let's get into this battle and let's know that Christ has won the war and that the light of the gospel overcomes the darkness of the world. So let's, let's do that. Let's take it straight, just like it is. Let's go hard. That's how you want to see this. And if that appears to be threatening to you, you need to contemplate what Jesus you've given yourself to. Let's guide those beautiful gifts of God, those sons and daughters. I'm so thankful for all the young couples in this church that are faithfully preaching the gospel to their kids, man. It's a beautiful thing. And here's why the light overcomes the darkness, because Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has bound Satan. No, we're not going to call him out. The Lord rebukes him. A careful look at this passage, the Bible, the author, of course, would have been Paul, but it really came through Luke, right? Luke writes it. He says it's the Lord who blinds Bar-Jesus. That's the scene here in this synagogue. They're preaching the gospel. It's Barnabas and it's, and it's Paul, and they're preaching the gospel. And John Mark at this time is connected to them. And then, you know, the little demon-possessed Bar-Jesus wants to poke his head. A Jewish false prophet, verse 6. The magician, don't mistake in that. He wasn't, uh, you know, on some of them dudes that do magic. This dude was demon-possessed. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus, but he comes to be known as son of the devil Basically, right from this passage where Paul looks at him. Verse 9, Saul, who's called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks at him intently. Like, come over here. I'm going to give you some. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Look at this. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord. He wasn't claiming to have the power. These guys so always so credit God in every format in the Bible. That's why Reformed theology is right. Because it gives all the glory to God. <laughs> then 
This isn't some cheap thing. You know, it's interesting. People say the miracles are, are stay in today, and I, you already know this. You've heard me say this. This is a unique form and a unique thing that's going on historically in redemptive history. But how come in today's things, nobody's going around blinding people? Be blind. Bogus, false, falsies. So, I mean, you know, you know what I love about Paul? He ain't going to step back. I mean, everybody says he, he, he was bald. I can identify with that. And he was about yay high. I don't know if that's true or not. But whatever, this dude gets right in the middle of this. Hey, you son of the devil. Sergius Paulus, who is a member of the pro-council, he's an intelligent man, and he's like, I want to hear, man, this is, man, this is music, I've never heard this before. And so the Lord blinds Bar-Jesus, and as Bar-Jesus opposes the gospel, the miracle work here that takes place, please catch this, is descriptive, not prescriptive. That's where someone can casually read the test because we know there's not chapters and verses and they can get caught up in, man, the point is that if you can have this power, you can blind people that we saw earlier that Simon Magus wanted this power. No, that was just simply describing what was going on. The prescriptive thing is to preach Christ. And so they do. And God miraculously moves and he blinds the opposition. He just gets Bar-Jesus out of the way because he could not prevent the salvation of Sergius Paulus. Why? Because Jesus has bound Satan. Satan's chained. And none of God's elect will not come to faith. Satan cannot prevail against Christ's church. God will and does save whom he calls. Through the promised redemption in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And here's the result of what takes place in Romans uh, 10. Say, go back to Genesis chapter 6. People call in the name of the Lord. And so that, that's what you want to examine right now for, for ourselves. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? And, and the calling upon the name of the Lord is a phrase that means this. It's where the Holy Spirit that you do not see awakens your mind and heart and soul that God is holy, that you are a sinner in desperate need of saving, you cannot save yourself, and that God in his mercy has provided Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead for the salvation of your soul. You must have the knowledge of that. You must assent to those things to be true, and yet until you are trusting in Christ alone to save you. And listen, we have to examine this because we're going to get to Acts 15 and we're going to find out what saves. 
And all of us want to understand what saves. It's not that we want to be a minimalist, but we want to understand, at least I do, and I know you do, what happens to me when I die. One of my dear friends passed away this past week. Died of cancer, head to toe. Used to drive me to work. I thank God I saw him two weeks before he died. And, you know, Tim knows Jesus. He's with Jesus. He's with the church triumphant now. Do you know Jesus? Because the phrase to call upon the name of the Lord resonates in your heart to the themes and the components of the gospel that God is holy that you are not just a person that sins well. No, your sin offends a holy God, and that holy God has provided his son to save you. Are you trusting in Jesus alone by faith to save you? That alone is the thing that saves. Not this bread and wine, not that water, not coming to church. I can stand in my garage with it closed, but that doesn't make me a car. (laughs) You could be sitting in this room, but until, and you know what that is, until you've fallen upon the name of the Lord. I'm I'm not talking about come close. But until you call upon the name of the Lord in repentant faith, you will fall short. Trust in Christ. And man, I'm telling you, these guys, they're all going to die over that message. But here, you know, Paul goes after Bar-Jesus, and in the process, Bar-Jesus gets blind. He's groping around for three days, and someone has to take him away, and he gets him out of the way. The Lord does. The Lord gets him out of the way. Church, take, take strength in that. Quit quit being afraid of everybody around you with your family members who might get angry or or some of your dear friends. And listen, I'm not telling you to get the largest Bible you got and hit them over the head with it. I'm just saying, ask God. That's what they were doing and they were praying. Lord, would you give me some direction? Would you give me a door? And then use words. Because the gospel is words. And what do they do? They show through this biblical theology that Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the promise of Genesis 3.15. Jesus is the Messiah who uh, reverses the curse. The sick are healed. The blind see. The demons are exorcised. The dead are raised. How? By the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Christ reigns. He's reigning now with the church triumphant in heaven. He's reigning now with the church militant on the earth. And, and Jesus has saved a whole bunch of you in the last five years. God help us older Christians not to take for granted what has happened. Not one person 
who belongs to Jesus will perish. You know that wicked animal that's chained? One of his name means accuser of the brethren. When you stumble and you fall, don't let him tell you he doesn't belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He's doing that to try to render you useless because who could, who could dare want to share Jesus when they're kind of wondering if, you know, they're saved? And, and, and don't get me wrong, I get that. There's this tension upon all of us to make our calling and election sure, but this is what we know is sure. Those who belong to Jesus will not perish, not one. All will come to repentance, every last one. And so that's the surety. That is, is the power of the gospel. Leave the saving to God, but, but God help us to tell others about the good news of Jesus, because man, is it good news. It's good news. As Sergius Paulus is saved miraculously, so all the church of Jesus Christ has been redeemed because Jesus is the promise. Our miracle that you seek is redemption. The eternal wound of sin has healed us. Jesus is the promise foretold in the Old Testament by the prophets, confirmed in the New Testament by the apostles. God has given the church eyes to see. When you're looking at the Bible, dear friends, don't miss the trees for the forest. Don't get lost in the maze of this life. And only think about Jesus because you have to when you come here. Man, Jesus is the point. He's not only the point of the Bible. He's the point of my life. Because this is either everything or it's nothing. Wow. Man, is it everything. It's everything. And so the comfort and the peace that you seek for your weary souls, and we all do, is to know Jesus. And we pray that you, that's you today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that we though may be smaller in number for those around us, we feel strong. We feel strong, not because of who we are or what we have done, but who we belong to. We belong to your son, the Lord Jesus, who lived the sinless life suffered and died, the just one for we who are unjust, for the forgiveness of our sin. And the only thing we can do in order to inherit eternal life is to trust in Jesus by faith. 
Some here, Lord, might be holding back surely out of just pride because they've come to church year after year, but they don't know the Lord Jesus. And for some reason, embarrassment is sticking in their way. We pray, Lord God, you would remove that. That you would, by your Spirit, enable them to believe by tearing down the walls of their hearts that's callous and cold. Lord, then for all of us, we have people that are in our sphere of influence you made a beautiful mosaic of the early church. This room is filled of a beautiful mosaic of people. Some who were saved out of new age. Some who were saved out of idolatrous Christianity. Some who were saved out of agnosticism. Lord, you save. You save because the gospel is your message. And the gospel is words. May our lips speak those words. The words are that Christ Jesus saves sinners. May all come and drink of the bread and the wine that know Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Bless us now, Lord, as we rejoice in this table you have divinely provided. We ask in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Church, you may rise and go receive the elements.